Hello there and welcome to On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from the Athletic Edition 3. Insert Blades cutting pun here. Uh, my name is Michael Bailey. I am the Athletic's Norwich City correspondent and every week I will host this Canaries chat with familiar names and Canaries characters. For you this week, more pain inflicted by Chris Wilder, a soggy South Coast surrender, one F in Fleming, another spot from the Hodge and just how afraid of the Foxes should we really be quite afraid. Uh, I will uh, spin through all that with my esteemed colleague this evening and uh, our host with the most, because he keeps letting us in his, uh, in his uh, house, which is lovely, uh, the man known as NCFC Numbers on Twitter, Norwich City Stats Guru, Steve Sanders. Thank you very much for that intro. Yeah, ploughing alone furrow today. But, um, you know, more than happy to be here, of course. And let me remind you to make sure you subscribe to The Athletic to read great articles and to get access to all 11 of our brand new podcasts. And just by listening to this show, you can subscribe now with a 40% discount by going to theathletic.com and using the code NORWICHPOD. Right. Uh, it's not been a great couple of games uh, since we were last on. Uh, let's be honest. I think that's why it's telling on my throat. Um, <laughs> it's put me in this kind of state. Uh, we will come to the key Southampton points uh, to discuss in a bit, I'm sure. But uh, let's start with what happened on Sunday against Sheffield United. Have, have you recovered from that, Steve? Because I have to say, as as far as defeats go, that was uh, particularly galling. It was, actually. And yeah, I mean, it, you know, we... We have ups and downs as fans, particularly as Norwich City fans, I think. That one felt like a really, really bad one. Um, it felt like such a huge game. Um, I don't think we kind of talked up enough how big, when we were on last week, how big this game and the Southampton game were. Um, but it was, yeah, after such a good first half as well. I mean, should, should we start with a positive? Well, I mean, I, yes. There's Let's not going to be that. much of that. I mean, it's interesting. Norwich managed to string two um, two good halves against Southampton and, and yeah. United <laughs> together, and, and and then two bad ones. But I mean, well, this is it. In the first half, Norwich Norwich were very good. I I, I do think Sheffield United just didn't get going, and I think that everyone on that side of the fence agreed because yeah. Chris Wilder absolutely laid into yes. them at halftime and kind of got a reaction. But by the same token, Norwich just didn't really appear for the second half, and I think we'll come on to that in a bit. But there were certainly there were certainly good signs from that first half in how good Norwich were on the ball and, and but again I don't know I find myself just thinking is that because they were given more time and room yeah I mean yeah I think there is an element of that that Sheffield United really were you know I, I've not seen them that much this season but it's certainly the worst that I've seen them play this season so we were afforded a bit of extra time I thought it was interesting we, we seem to um, have a slightly different tactic uh, we got Pookie involved in the game a lot more it was a lot more balls down the channels for him to chase, which seemed to work. Well, the ball, yeah, the, the ball was, well, they got the ball forward a lot quicker, didn't they, in general? And yeah. it was a lot more in behind to try and just get the, get the territory. Yeah. And which I, I have, I have slight issues with it in terms of Norwich's philosophy and, and, and how strict everyone has to stick to it because it, it seems that it's been quite fluid and, and Norwich did seem direct. Yeah. Um, oh, for, for a lot of it. Very much so. And um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know because I, I, every every part of me wants to go into the doom and gloom side, and I do want to just try and stay slightly <laughs> yes, positive. Yes, because I'm I'm with you. I think that the the long ball stuff um, was is not really working. Um, I I did feel like they kind of got stuck in physically as well in that first half, which and and then it fell away. And the other thing I, I did think about the first half, and it kind of 
we've talked a lot about the uh, this season about the two defensive midfield players and I thought that Vrancic Tetti axis I mean they were the two best players for me in that first half and it kind of went to pieces after that as everything else did but that was the seventh different um, partnership that they've had in that role in, in those two roles in the 16 league games this season I don't know what you think but I, I feel like Vrancic despite his culpability for the second goal, kind of looks more at home in that role than a lot of other players have? I, th- I thought Mario was, was excellent in the first half. Um, I thought he was one of the picks. And and I think what what we've seen this year, and I don't know if it's an indication because of the inexperience in the rest of the team, but the, the players that have played in the Premier League before have really raised their game and mm. become crucial. Yep. Um, Tim Krul, uh, Alex Tetti as well. And yeah, I thought there was lovely composure about Mario because even when he was sort of being closed down, he still managed to find the right pass and kept Norwich moving quite quite nicely. So um, I really enjoyed his performance in the first half. As you say, it was just that that moment for the second goal um, where, and and I I still worry about about him defensively and physically at, at this level. Um, but yeah, he was definitely the bit the big positive. Yeah. He was the big positive in the first half. How he how he went about it. Yeah, um, and and then it all kind of sort of <laughs> yeah. fell apart, really, didn't it? it? Are we done the yeah, positive? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't I can't carry on anymore. So I I, I have to say, I, I really impressed me how Sheffield United got up the pitch and and they they just sort of they they just pressed. I mean, it does keep keep coming back to this. I think that just pressing Norwich a little bit at the right times does seem to scupper them mm. all, all all too easily, but. There are probably a few things that make me think this was this was as much about Norwich's downfall in those first ten minutes and and let's say what two goals in three in mm-hmm. three minutes weren't yeah. they? The first one coming from Norwich uh, conceding a throw and Sheffield United turning that throw into a crossing situation, which Daniel Farker had said they spent hours going through and telling do not do this, and mm-hmm. they obviously hadn't been doing that, but then not for the first time under Daniel Farker they were slow to get going at the, after the half time and conceded that something that they knew to not do yeah uh, that is particularly galling and then I guess then so soon after that first goal um, Norwich didn't recover and it is something that has happened a lot this season that when they concede one goal they uh, and I've written this piece it's not it's not done <laughs> yet but it's going out in the next day or two a uh, second one does genuinely follow and generally not too long afterwards yeah. and from that point onwards it doesn't really matter how well Sheffield United are playing or what their performance level is because the whole dynamic of the game has turned and yeah and, and that's the thing and it, it shouldn't have been allowed to land in their lap and I think it's a mentality issue that you talk about I mean you, you may you've already made the point about Wilder in that you, you know and I was saying it to my dad and my brother at halftime we, you absolutely know that he's going to be laying into his players at half time and saying that that's not acceptable because it wasn't great for them in the first half so you know that they're going to come on strong and that that first 15-20 minutes is absolutely key if we do end up looking back at this season and saying, if only, what if, what were the turning points, that 10 minutes at the start of that second half is absolutely huge because it's a game I think we really needed to win. I mean, my opinion is Norwich went up playing a very particular brand of football. And I think if they're not going to at least try and continue that, despite the fact that they're obviously suffering issues with confidence, then we may as well all pack up and go home now and get ready for another year in the championship. I wonder if there's a... Um, I don't think conflict's the right word, but it was interesting after Southampton that that Daniel Farker felt that the players weren't weren't doing what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to. He felt that their shortcoming was that they weren't brave enough to keep mm. playing, and they did get a bit sucked into going long. And he felt that was the issue. Um, 
and then I spoke to Christoph Zimmerman. Again, you can read that piece piece on the Athletic. Really, I really enjoyed that one, by the way, because I just chucked some stats at him. And also, <laughs> it, was, it was really interesting getting that feedback and then talking about obviously some other bits as well. So it's definitely well worth a read. But so speaking to Christoph Zimmerman, he he was talking at the Southampton game, saying, um, actually, him stepping up and playing the ball into situations where it made sure Norwich got up the pitch was felt like a good thing to be able to do because it took some of the pressure off yeah let's have a quick listen uh, from mario vrancic but first of all daniel farker it felt a bit like it was a bit like a shock this uh, the start you could feel it on the pitch that my young lads were, were struggling with the nerves during the spirit and i think we were 20 minutes done and not in the game in the last 10 minutes we tried everything the goalkeeper there was one or two really good saves i think against, against todd kentwell for example but I got the feeling that this, uh, yeah, big mistakes really were pretty, pretty costly today and they were uh, the key for the game. Yeah, it felt great, obviously. Quite enjoyed it <laughs> until we um, conceded uh, the, the two goals. And um, obviously, I'm also yeah, quite pleased that I could have um, played or started the game. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, there are many games uh, following. Yeah. So as, as always, we'll just have a very quick look at the table. I'm sure you all know um, how it looks as well. But uh, with the amount of games that Norwich have uh, lost, it doesn't project very well come the end of the season. And you're drawing a line at sort of 36 points probably as to what they could actually pick up in total. Um, and the only teams in the last decade to actually stay up with that sort of total have taken a lot of points off the three teams below. Yeah. Them. Um, and, you know at this present moment in time looking at that table um, Norwich have taken one point off Bournemouth in 16 nothing off the other three mm. and um, of those three um, they've won eight nine games between them and three of those yeah and <laughs> it's pretty damning and just to add to that um, the last six games that um, before Sheffield United uh, that Norwich have taken I think four points from um every single team they've played has gone on to lose their next game so I mean maybe we're just softening them up yeah yeah. but um it's it's a bit of an indictment we're not exactly playing the the creme de la creme here no quite Uh, now uh, he made his debut last week and he is back again a Scottish commentator and sports journalist Stuart Hodge took in the action mulled it all over and has taken to his mic to deliver his latest Hodge spot cue Stu a bit of a different tone to the Hodge spot this week and to the podcast generally, I'm sure. Three quick points I'm going to make. First one is about Norwich City's soft centre, essentially a caramelised centre of defence that we've got. Two balls into the box, as good as Ward Prowse's delivery was against Southampton, just not defended right. Can't give opponents easy goals like that and similar problems again, just not defending balls into the box against Sheffield United. It's hard enough when you're up against quality opposition in the Premier League, you can't give freebies away, especially when you're battling the drop. Secondly, I want to talk about the mentality of the team. Conceding goals and when you concede them is very important. Against Southampton, we conceded the second goal before half-time, which made it an uphill struggle and one that we were never really going to win without some sort of miraculous kind of happening in the second half. And against Sheffield United, it was just a capitulation at the start of the second period after such a strong first half. Really, really, really disappointing. The one positive, if you like, this week is uh, Alex Tetty. Probably no more popular goal scorer at Carrow Road. And it was nice to see him get on the score sheet again. And against Southampton, he came on at halftime and he changed the game. Norwich City just had a better shape about them. They looked a bit more resilient. And I think his experience really told in in that game. So it begs the question for me, 
whether Stuart Webber would go for it as a, a transfer strategy or not, would Norwich City benefit from, in January, looking for players, particularly at the back, that have a bit more Premier League or at least top-level, top-league experience? What do you guys think? Cheers, as always, Stu. It's a big question, isn't it, January? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as Norwich's league position is going to have a huge bearing on um, on who they can actually actually bring in. And I just... It, much in the same way as to how they deal with the philosophy on the pitch, January is going to be interesting how they deal with their philosophy in terms of recruitment. Yeah, and it would mean, you know, if we if we do what Stu's suggesting, which I think is not necessarily the worst idea, um, it would mean in a bit a bit of an about turn. Um, we do have kind of the Naismith conundrum going on here, though, when I think everyone was clamouring for us to invest in a player who on paper was looked a really good signing um, and obviously, as we all know, worked out pretty disastrously for all concerned. So I, I think, which, you know, clearly Stuart Webber and, and co are well aware of that. Um, I think you alluded to the point earlier about the experience um, and the fact that some of our best players are the ones who have had that Premier League and top flight experience. I think they've missed Tim Close really badly this season as well for that reason. Yeah. Um, and I think... Yeah, I, I, personally, I would like to see them bring in somebody who can be that maybe just a bit more of a personality in the dressing room, maybe to kind of so that, to help them get over that um, mentality block that maybe they get when they concede that first goal. Because I think there is still an issue on the pitch. Is that yeah, how you feel? I, no, I think I would agree with that. And I guess when you're looking at experience, it doesn't have to... Well, it's where the the canniness of the recruitment comes in. But if they can find someone with some Premier League experience who's not old and who might, you know, be able yeah. to increase their value, it's very difficult. But I guess by that very nature, it's going to come with someone with a memory of being relegated, and they've made quite a big thing of the lack of fear. Yep, uh, being a part. So it's it's a proper conundrum. I should flag up at this point: uh, David Ornstein's Ornstein on Monday column, which uh, came out to today although that might be a few days before if you're listening to this on at some point during the week it's on on a monday anyway it goes out every monday morning it's the go-to place um for all the gossip and and goings on um that wouldn't have been reported before um and that's uh, every monday after the weekend's action uh, this week he he was the little nugget of norwich city um sticking the <laughs> veritable price tag of 50 million pounds on on ben godfrey um and I think we all know from the agent who's looking after Ben and having looked after um, certain other Norwich players recently uh, that you know, there's going to be a lot of interest in Ben Godfrey throughout this year as there has been last season yeah. and earlier on the season. So that's, I guess you would assume if Norwich do go down that someone is going to go. Uh, yeah. How many of them? That would be very interesting. And then, of course, how much for? Well, just, yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, we can only speculate on that, I suppose. Um, but I think the point to make on that is that actually this is where the strategy in the summer is actually going to bear fruit. And again, maybe it's sounding defeatist, but to get all these players on long-term contract means that if the worst happens and we do go down, the kind of price tags like 50 million are going to be realistic because we have absolutely no need to lose them. Um, and I think... You look at some of the other prices, I think Godfrey could be worth that. Yeah, well, I think Adam Webster was was one highlighted example, wasn't he? And um, having never played in the Premier League before. And he's got a really long contract because everyone signed um, long deals. Hooray, there's nothing to be upset about, really. Exactly. One thing, though, just uh, coming off the back of 
the game at Southampton. And again, I should flag this up. If you go over to uh, The Athletic, you can read my chat with uh, Norwich City Hall of Famer, a testimonial holder against Newcastle where it rained a lot. Um, <laughs> Craig Fleming, who is now assistant manager at um, at Southampton. It's, oh, I think he's first, he's assistant first team coach. Mm. Try and get it right. Uh, but uh, working under Ralph uh, Hasenhutl. And it, it was it was lovely to go down to Southampton and, and catch up with, with Flem, who... I think the last time I probably spoke to him in person, he was at Lowestoft Town having, <laughs> and I, he's quite open in the piece about how much he really wanted to stay in Norfolk and become a coach yeah. at Norwich City. And it's it's interesting that it took someone to tell him to go and learn, go and learn your trade, go and do it somewhere else. And it, the, the path he's taken sort of coming up through um, Southampton and also making the switch from development football into into first team football I think mm-hmm. others have, have struggled with as well so uh, it's, it's really good to see how how much of a success he's been with that and how he's managed to throw himself into a into a proper first team role yeah I mean he, he always seemed like a character who who might who might kind of go on to management the way he was in the Norwich dressing room supposedly um like you say it's I, I suppose in football it, you can't really plan too far ahead because you never know what opportunities are going to come up and obviously you, you know talked about the link with Martin Hunter that um ended up kind of getting him to where he is now um obviously that's a Norwich City connection there um so yeah I suppose Flem might have had kind of grand ideas but actually things have worked out pretty well for him and um, you know obviously you spoke to him so I'm assuming that um he he seems happy there and what was interesting was his kind of I don't know if adulation is the right word for Harsen Huttle, but it seems like he's learning a hell of a lot there from a coach who has come from, I guess, a similar background to where our coaches come from. Exactly. It kind of makes me wonder, as you say, you don't know where football's going to end up yeah. and where it takes you, but it will be really interesting where where Craig Fleming does end up going with it, whether it's following Ralph, whether it's doing something on his own. It'll be, it'll be fascinating. I'd be fascinated to see if he ever does make that leap and you kind of think he's learned under so many different managers and coaches. Why not? Yeah, so read the, read the Craig Fleming interview because um, it, it was a good one, that. Um, but yes, Norwich are at Leicester this coming weekend. I've put brackets, gulps next. I mean, yeah. I have to say, it was going through my mind watching the game on Sunday. Oh, dear. <laughs> I mean, because for, for me, this is tougher than Man City coming to Carrow Road. I think Leicester are in supreme yeah. form. They look a better side. They don't give goals away. They press you... Um, so well they've got a, a constant threat in behind but it's hardly the only way they can attack you is it so uh, they look like the real deal this year I think yeah and they're now playing they seem to be playing with a front two um, which is not something that we fared particularly well against this season um, <laughs> yeah I, I, I eight in a row uh, club record um, we're obviously not in a great place at the moment uh, they, they just look so incredibly well balanced. I think Ndidi is a fantastic holding midfielder. Um, obviously, we know all about Madison and Tielemans. Um, I, I can't. I don't. I don't see a weakness. I mean, everything points now towards a nil-one or something yes, ridiculous like that. This is it. It's one of those where you just can't see a see anything happening. And and what I would also say, just to hark back to the year where they did win the league, which actually I don't think is a stronger team as one they've got now. Yeah. Um, we did. I, I, if I remember rightly, they were on a fantastic run then we were in a similar position to where we are now and we pushed them pretty, pretty yeah, close. It was a, a show of winner in the 88th minute, I think, or something yeah. like that. And Norwich held out really well. And I have to say, looking at how 
um it was villa wasn't it that they were at, yes. um, on the weekend um how villa were sort of playing a four a four at the back and looked fairly open I, th- I think Daniel will wheel out his three at the back and probably add a couple of fullbacks there. And yeah, um, I, I would like to space. see. I'd like to see the three at the back given a given a proper go. Um, I think we're just going to have to deny them space and please, please let's defend set piece as yeah. well. Yeah, and then the long balls up to Timu Puki, <laughs> and there's your philosophy right there. Uh, James Madison. I don't know if we need to say much about him, but I mean, it will remain, even though he wasn't in my team of the decade. Um, one <laughs> of the most gifted, <laughs> one of the most gifted Norwich City players. Um, I've seen. Yeah, and do you know what? I, it, you almost wouldn't begrudge him. I, I, I don't want to see him score against us, but you kind of know that he's going to do that whole, he's going to do the whole I won't celebrate thing. And he's just such a fantastic, you, you almost feel slightly paternal towards him, don't you? And you want to see him do well. That's what I feel anyway. I'm that's, only a few years older than him, really. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> that's fine. I'm, I'm sure he'll bend a free kick in from 25 yards and away we go. Right, just time for some plugs. If you subscribe to The Athletic, then keep yourself free on Friday for an hour from 4pm for my weekly Q&A that takes place following Daniel Farker's pre-match press conference at Colney. Uh, you can follow that on The Athletic website and app. Uh, we also do one of those uh, two hours after every kickoff in every Norwich game. So that will be 5pm on Saturday afternoon for a post-match Q&A to chew through the key topics from those 90 minutes uh, and finally good luck to Norwich City's under 18s they kick off their FA Youth Cup campaign at Carrow Road on Tuesday evening against Newcastle United a visit from either Lincoln or Manchester United awaits the winners uh, and we are done with OTB3 uh, this podcast is freely available so make sure you subscribe uh, with your podcast player of choice on either Apple or Android and if you want to get in touch with us just sling me a tweet or direct message on Twitter at Michael J. Bailey. Uh, Steve, thank you so much. Thank you. That was quite cathartic, actually. Uh, We feel better now, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Until the weekend, so that's grand. (laughs) That didn't mean to sound (laughs) as negative as it did. Uh, Thanks, as always, to Hodgie, of course. And finally, a big thanks to all of you for your time and your ears. We will be back next weekend for edition four of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, never mind the danger. 